0: It's just easy to categorize things you don't understand into "I uh, I don't like category. And then when you find uh, other people that put that on a billboard, it's like, oh man, look, this person doesn't like that guy over there either. Let's hang out more. It grows. I'm Ken Harbaugh. This is Burn the Boats, a show about making tough calls in
1: tough times. America today faces a critical test. Our democracy is under threat but good people are rising to the challenge. Now is the time to go all in. Now we burn the boats. My guest today is Brett Jones, who was the first openly gay Navy SEAL. He served during Don't Ask, Don't Tell and left the SEAL teams after being outed. He continued to serve in the CIA, but was the victim of vicious harassment there. Brett's now married, living in Alabama with his husband and their son. Uh, Brett, it is Such an honor to speak with you. Welcome to Burn the Boats. Thank you. I appreciate
0: it. I'm glad to be here.
1: Your book came out a few years ago, but I feel like your story has such relevance today in this political era where we're experiencing this this weird kind of hyper-masculinity that's become a defining feature of the right. Now, you've been the victim, uh, even as one of our nation's elite warriors, of these twisted notions of masculinity, and even though you rose above it, with everything you've seen in the years since, especially living in Alabama, where I've lived as well, do you think things are getting better
0: or worse? I think if you take history as sort of an example, I say that, yeah, I do believe that that things are getting better. I also believe that it's one of those uh, mountains that's impossible to reach the top, but is very important that you keep climbing. If you look at, at civil rights or or any other uh, group of people that have been marginalized in history, the true summit of it is just not giving up that climb. I feel that, you know, the repeal of Don not Hotel was awesome and, and being able to be married, it was awesome. It was particularly a, a wonderful day for me. And well, a wonderful event that happened for me and, and my family. But it, it, it's not the end, right? Like there's still always work to do the same with civil rights. You, you can't give up on it or you, you there's not we're not at the top of the mountain where everyone is treated equally and harmoniously and and all that. You still have to keep challenging yourself as a as a person and as a community and and as a uh, a state as a nation.
1: It, it is funny how progress happens though at times it seems like well, we can't even see the top of that mountain. And then seemingly overnight, granted with a ton of work by committed advocates and a ton of sacrifice by a lot of people. But what seems like overnight, there's there's a, a mental shift and something that would have seemed unthinkable to my parents' generation, legalized gay marriage, my kids just take for granted. How do you think about that and the way things seem to shift
0: all at once after so much effort. I got to say, I remember there were times in my life, the majority of my life, where I never thought in in my lifetime that I would be able to be married to a guy that I love, right? I just didn't, I wouldn't be able to have a family. I wouldn't, it would have to be this very cloaked and secretive, you know, this very whatever, and i remember the momentum building up to that supreme court ruling and you know there's this part of you that that is so afraid of what might not happen after being it's like being told that you just won the lottery but and so you're just you're just hoping and praying that 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 ruling comes back and yeah it, it, i just remember what a feeling that was and crazy, I was. I had deployed a few months before, so I, I basically my deployment schedule was I would deploy for two or three months, and then come back for two or three months. Deploy for two or three months, come back for two. And and my husband and I, at the time, uh, I was doing stuff that was really, really dangerous. And we thought that that if I got killed, which was a you know a pretty good you know I mean let's just be honest here, the odds aren't in my favor there, but we we're worried that the insurance wouldn't cover um, my family. And, you know, we had this, I think it was like $250,000 life insurance policy through the, it's your basic uh, thing that the military or the the agency offered. And I was terrified that they wouldn't get it because uh, we weren't married, even though everywhere else legally we were together, uh, just not married. And I remember it was, like three days before I left, me and him drove up to uh, Illinois to get married in this little town called, I want to say it's Evansville, Illinois. So it was right on the border there. So we just crossed into the border, went to the straight to the magistrate and got married so that if something did happen to me, then there was no issues with the... And then come to find out just, you know, a few months later, um, the Supreme Court ruled in favor of it and... uh Good Lord, what uh, amazing um, feeling that was! Well, that was the Obergefell
1: decision, and what's striking to me hearing your story is that we had Jim Obergefell on the show a while back. Oh, really? And we did. And
0: I the, met him at a gala Woods. No, yeah. no kidding.
1: That, yeah, that's, yeah, that's awesome. The the prompt, and it's heartbreaking just talking about it. The the forcing issue for that case was the fact that he married his husband out of state, out of Ohio, because his husband was terminally ill and they wanted to sanctify their relationship in the eyes of the law. And when they landed back in Ohio, they realized that Ohio didn't care. Ohio didn't care that their marriage was sanctified in in another state, but it didn't matter in Ohio. And... Uh, Jim was terrified that um, while well, in this actually happened, he wasn't listed on the death certificate. Uh, and his his husband said, fight this, fight this. And that resulted in a Obergefell making it before the Supreme Court and making uh, legalized gay marriage the law of the land, not just a state-by-state thing. But in your case, I mean— that was a very real possibility as well. You were doing Navy seal missions. Well, I was with the CIA at the
0: time, but yeah,
1: you were with the CIA at the time. Yeah. Probably even more dangerous if there's one thing that could be more dangerous than being a than being a <laughs> than being a, NA- a Navy seal. What's also interesting about your perspective on all this is that the tropes are pretty conservative. I mean you're a Navy seal, you're living in in Alabama. If someone had to just write the book cover, it would it would look pretty conservative, right?
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't know how all this happened actually, but well, I mean, I fell in love with a guy that lives in Alabama and and the and his family, and yeah, that's how it happened. Um, and as far as conservative and liberal, especially as the older I get, I just really try to focus on on people and and, and not. Uh, these group, because it's real easy to say like, you know, oh, the, the right, they're trying to, you know, oppress us and the left is, you know, you know, whatever. I, I try to, to, to sort of like separate that and focus really on people. And if somebody has a problem with me, uh, being, you know, in a relationship, uh, you know, married and, with a family and, and all that, uh, I I I'd give it that look of well, they're a person, and so I, I that's basically how I try to 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 look at it, and um and a lot of people don't understand, and and that's okay. I'm not out here to try and and make everyone understand something. Um, all I can do is, is live my best life, and that's about the most I can do, really.
1: No 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 I was going to say I love that focus on on people and it reminds me of a a very old YouTube video of yours that that we dug up where you're talking about your feelings after Obergefell and and you made some comment about the the case of the bakery that refused to serve a uh, gay couple, and, and there's this quote in particular, which um, I don't know if I can get it on a T-shirt, I, I will. You said, I wondered if a gay couple came to Jesus and asked him to make them a chair for their wedding. You know what Jesus did, would do? My guess is that not only would he have made them one chair, he probably would have made them two, and then he would have bedazzled it and put streamers all over it and gold and frankincense and myrrh and whatever.
0: Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, I remember that. No, I do remember that. To show
1: it as a testament of his love for them, regardless. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I, you know, I I think that's I think that's absolutely right. But this is a political show, so I'm I'm gonna hold you to the fire a little bit. You have to acknowledge that most of that that. Hate that prejudice is coming from the right, and they want to make it law.
0: Yeah, um, I, I do recognize that, and I also recognize that there are, are people who are working hard on both sides to uh, to keep this as an equal of a land as as possible. And here's the thing: is I, I, it's really easy to to you know stereotype a. group of people like that's you know our brains work that way right and uh it's easier to categorize things and 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 file away as oh that's that's gay or oh that's you know far right or oh that's far left or or whatever right it's just very easy to to do that and when we do that we lose sight of people a real good example of this is the Roy moore uh thing that happened here in my home state of uh, alabama and um And as frustrating and as angry as as I would be about what seemed and felt like just hate towards people like me and my family and and him being in such a a, a prestigious position was, uh, it was a very frustrating thing And, and it would be very easy for me to say awful things about this man given my experiences in my life. But here's the thing is what, what compassion would that? But he's still a human being. He's—I um, don't know his whole story. I don't know his whole life. I don't know. I just know wh- what what I'm seeing and, and what's happening. And um, I tried uh, during that time to really focus on on just being being me, being you know me, and and still caring about people regardless of of what they might believe.
1: That is separate from electing those people to powerful
0: positions, though, right? We can have... Oh, I didn't vote for...
1: <laughs> what, is it, what does it say, though, that 47% of Alabamians, and I know this number because I spent my formative years in Alabama and I couldn't believe yeah. what was happening. Actually, I could believe what was happening, and that's why I'm putting the question to you. What does it say about deep red parts of this country that nearly a majority will support someone with a, a record
0: like Roy Moore's. So you have to really look at the the history of of Alabama to really understand uh the people. My my husband, he's a Civil War enthusiast and and so he's really um helped me understand because I I came here when I first came here, I I didn't, you know, it was a culture shock to me. And um, I think one of the b- best lessons that I've learned uh, living in this state is that um, people may have beliefs. And regardless of, of where they, they, these beliefs come from, whether it was something that has been generationally taught, you know, over the years, or if they have these prejudices or biases or, or whatever it is that, that you may not agree with, at the end of the day, there's still people and they still have the power to influence other people. And the only way that I know how to combat that is to try and be the best version of myself that I can be. And it all goes back to that compassion, right? And and I'll be honest with you, the people of Alabama, for the most part, have been absolutely 100% amazing to me and my husband. And some of them don't agree with, the Supreme Court's ruling, or our relationship, and I can't control that. I can't. I can't change somebody else's thought, and I just focus on the things that I can control, and it has always seemed to suit me, suit me pretty well. And that's how I react to people doing things that I might not agree with. But you've talked about
1: the difference between living in a relatively big city by Alabama standards, Huntsville. With yeah. tons of academic institutions and high yeah. tech industry and living in rural Alabama. Yeah. You're in an island
0: right now. And again, well, so yeah, no, I know, I know you're absolutely right. I'm in this little blue dot floating in the middle of a sea of red, right? But here's the thing is like I actually live in a, a town just outside of Huntsville and um small town. And, you know, our son, we went to baseball games growing up, and you know, we got that. You know where we had to sit by ourselves. It was it was really bad there until you know you just realized that you know you I can only do what I can do. Yeah, it, it obviously makes me angry when you know your son comes back or is is like why are the none of the other parents sitting near these two and like, it, they can catch it or something. I mean, like there's these difficult talks that you have to have and there's these difficult things that you have to do that shouldn't be that way. I feel that I should, I should be able to be able to kiss my husband whenever I want to. I should be able to hold his hand if I want to and and not make other people uncomfortable. But that's not the world I live in. That's not the world that I'm I'm here. And the only way that I know truly how to um, not get very angry and frustrated it is to realize that I can't control other people. I try to be a good example. I can try to to make, you know, uh, positive videos. I can try to make you know, right things that will help people understand because that's really what it all boils down to, right? It's like people just don't understand. I don't know what it's like to be transgender. I don't. I have no idea what that's like. But people who... I have respected have, you know, tried to help me understand that and make it to where I can relate to that. And, and it has opened my eyes, even Christianity. I I grew up in a very religious environment that really felt like it was used as a weapon against me for, for years and years. And I had this resentment against people that did that, that were that religious and, and, and I had to to I had to come to this place where I could be like, "Look, I can't control that. I have to I have to let that go. Otherwise, I'm just gonna build up resentment and and hate and and I'm gonna have to carry that around with me and i I, I don't wanna be carrying other people's shit, right? And, uh, yeah, letting go of that. And once I was able to do that, I realized that I, I could have my old relationship with a God of my understanding. And that really opened my eyes to a lot of that. And again, I sound like a vocal record, but just going back to the compassion part, right? Like I know because I lived it, I was in an environment where you grew up and you had to be a certain way. And and those things that are instilled in you at a very young age are very difficult to break away from. And growing up in, in a very religious environment as a as a gay person, man, it's it's hard, it's really difficult. And then, you know, as you start to come into your own, you feel like you're you're hurting, you know, this God that that your, your parents had told you about and that you're hurting them. And then, you know, and then all of a sudden the self-loathing comes in and I can't change this and I can't change the way I think. And, you know, it's just this very vicious cycle. And uh, I understand how easy it is to try to not understand another person, right? Like, it's easy to just categorize it as, oh, that's a trans person. I don't care about them. File away in that, you know, thing. And I can teach my kids that because it's really easy. It's just that, you know, trans people bad, gay people bad or whatever, right? And, you know, the more difficult thing would be to, let me try and understand this. Let me try and understand why, This person is this way. Let me try and understand what their life must be like, right? Like the same with mental illness. And like that is such so much stigma. As a cop, I see it all the time. There's so much stigma around it. And uh, I'm not comparing the two, but I'm just saying, like it's a category of people that people just crazy, right? They label it crazy and they file it away. And it's like, no, actually, you know, if you really take the time to try and understand What's going on? It's not what you think. And when I come across people that resent me just because of me being gay or whatever, my first thought is like, oh man, like I feel bad for them because I feel like maybe they weren't given the opportunities or they weren't taught to try to understand other people, you know? Uh, And that's sort of where I, I guess I lie at it.
1: It feels like there's a resurgence of of that of late because it has become such an effective political tool on the right. You brought up the the attacks on on transgender people. the idea that you know if we can rally our base by by othering people we don't understand, we can win elections in
0: in the the heart of Alabama. Surely, you're seeing that around you. Well, again, man, like if you go and look at history, right? Some of Alabama's governors, they were elected. Well, one in particular was elected because he was he wasn't afraid to drop the N word, and and that was a um, a rallying point around that. I think I think a lot of it is education, for sure. Right? You know, being able to to. Grow up in an environment where you can learn about things in a, in a freer space is, you know, obviously helpful. I think at the end of the day, if you think about anything, whether it's political or, or just personal relations or whatever, if, if you're hurting somebody, right, if your beliefs are actively hurting somebody and it's not in a way to help them grow or become a better person, but really hurting them, you're fucked up, man. Like that's not you're hurting somebody, right? And that's not a uh, that's not a way to um, live your life.
1: I feel like that the the hurting of people has become a part of our politics lately in a way that it it wasn't before. Cruelty seems to be the point when former President Trump. Uh, mocks uh, a disabled person, or or talks about roughing suspects up, putting them into to police cars. Th- those lines get the loudest applause at his rallies. Something seems to have gone off the rails in a party that
0: celebrates the cruelty for cruelty's sake. How do you react? Well, obviously, I, I don't, I don't like that. Yeah, I, it's no secret. I didn't vote for Trump, and. uh <laughs> And he is certainly not a statesman, and uh, I think a poor example of of how we should treat other people, for sure. You know, I'm not going to get into the, the the politics of what he believes and and not. But but here's the thing, man: is people are people, and it's really really fucking easy to take people and just uh, you know. Our brains, I feel like, are probably triggered more towards that uh, negative. It, it's it's really easy to dislike somebody. It's really easy to hate somebody. It doesn't. It, it requires no work, and it weighs on you. And then it, it's a cancer. It grows, and then it, it, it morphs into other things. It's really hard to understand and try to relate and show compassion to people. That's. That's fucking work. That's really fucking hard work. And when I see people like that, I'm like, I don't think they're ready for that kind of work yet.
1: Yeah. There's this great Brene Brown quote. She says, it's hard to hate up close. And I have to believe that one of the defining features of those islands of blue and seas of red, as you described Huntsville, is the fact that there is more Diversity. There is more education. You're surrounded by people who challenge your your preconceptions. Does that hold?
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, absolutely. I think that um, I feel like diversity is one of those things that just adds fucking color to the world. Because I grew up in an environment where beliefs were supposed to be the same, right? And those beliefs, and those ideals, and those ideas became very boring to me and like it just felt stale. And as I got older it was introduced to different types of people and different views or religions and and even though I might not agree with some of them, it brought color into into my life. And I believe that there is a place and a conversation here for everyone, right? And um yeah, I'm I didn't vote for Trump. <laughs>
1: what what do you make of his I mean it's almost like he's impersonating Mussolini or the strong men of era's past in the way he carries himself in the way he bullies uh those who who stand up to him I, and I'm asking you as a as a Navy seal we don't get Navy yeah. seals on this show all the time but you you have to have a pretty insightful perspective on on toxic masculinity having been at the tip of the spear of America's national defense.
0: Yeah, so I think you know, you said it right there. I, I I you know, I watched the whole uh you know, like every American did and I I was like, wow, man, this guy is is the definition of of a bully. And I think the thing that Fuels a bully is when they it works right when you do something and and you use shame or or insults or, or or whatever the case is to as a uh tool to get what you want and then it works it's it's like well damn that just adds to that that ego that bullies live off of right it, it was frustrating for sure, for me to to watch. And I, you know, obviously I'm I'm uh I didn't vote for Hillary Clinton either, right? So I was uh I was a Johnson guy at the at the time, right? Wasn't it John, Gary Johnson was the the, the liberal the or libertarian right? that I ran for yeah yeah yeah.
1: Well it, the bullying and these these weird demonstrations of virility, as Ruth Ben-Ghiat would call them, didn't just work for for Trump. They they infected the entire Republican Party. I mean, you have people like Josh Hawley, who who I don't think anyone should take manliness lessons from. He's the guy who fist-pumped the insurrectionists on January 6th, right? He's writing a book about how to be a real man. I mean, this has become a trope on the right. How how do those of us who see through it call it out
0: well I think just like that right um like you do obviously see through it and you are calling it out right and that's what it is it's a very it's very easy to fall into something it's very easy to get angry at something that you don't understand that's 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 Human nature, right? Like, oh, I don't understand that person over there because they mow their yard on Tuesdays instead of the weekends. Who the fuck does that? What is that? I don't understand that. They're a shitty neighbor. <laughs> like, it's just easy to categorize things you don't understand into "I uh, I don't like category. And then when you find uh, other people that put that on a billboard it's like, oh, man, look, this person doesn't like that guy over there either because he mows his yard on Tuesdays. Fuck, let's, let's hang out
1: more. It grows. Pretty soon you get the Oath Keepers, right? Yeah, yeah. I,
0: and I then want... you got the lynch mob out there hanging the guy up on the side of the street because he didn't mow his yard on a Tuesday.
1: So many of our fellow vets, and, and you work with a lot of law enforcement, this applies to them as well, get, get drawn into this. What what is happening there? Why is there such an attraction for for our buddies who who served? Um, why are so many in the law enforcement community uh, drawn to to these kinds of, of movements as well? I mean, January six jumps to the top of my mind as an example of a movement that had. Way too many law enforcement officers, way too many vets at the vanguard, and it just scares the heck out of me.
0: Well, I don't. I, I'll be honest, you, I don't think it's fair to categorize all of uh, veterans and police officers into a small group of people that that went and did something fair, awful. Fair enough. Yeah, and but,
1: you know, even one is too many. And vets and LEO were disproportionately represented uh, at the Capitol that day.
0: Yeah, um, but there were also some that really, you know, um, stood out too. Yes. That, that helped, um, you know, keep those people out and, For sure. and keep our elected officials safe. And I think, um, I don't honestly feel that it's a disp- disproportionate amount. I'm a police officer here in Alabama, and i worked with, you know, Different municipalities, uh, counties—you name it—I've worked with all different types of police officers from all over the state. And uh, my overall impression of them is, wow, these people really, really care about their communities, and you know, their—you um, know—their uh, laws and 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 helping people. It, there's been a big shift in law enforcement in general that I've seen, where you know, you had this sort of ultra masculine sort of uh, you know, oh, it's this way or the highway or whatever, it, you know, to a very much more focus on the people, focus on on the situation, uh, and how can I actually really help this situation and and not, you know, escalate or or um or whatever. And I, I mean the most impressionable people that are the most, uh, that I've been impressed by, uh, have been police officers here in, in the state of Alabama that don't see race, that don't see, uh, political views or, or whatever. They, they go into these situations with an open mind and an open heart and, and try to, to help and, and de-escalate situations.
1: Yeah. We had a, uh, a sheriff from Oakland on the show, um, who, who talked about the importance of that, the importance of empathy in, in policing. Uh, yeah. And unfortunately, that's, that's not what the, the body cams catch uh, enough of. I think what, what we see far too much of is, is the old school approach, um, the my way or the highway approach, and uh, that does incredible damage to the profession.
0: I, so I you know I see a lot of these body cams too and and um you know my first my very first thing that when I I look at a at a body cam video is is one am I seeing the whole thing am I seeing the whole story like cuz that's important a whole story is important and not just you know a 20 second clip from a whole story um and then two is uh there are, you know, there are bad apples, right? Like that's in any profession, there's always going to be people that are, aren't are at their best in a, in a day and, you know, or are at their worst for sure. And those people need to be handled and dealt with accordingly. Um, there was another uh, thing I wanted to talk about with the body cams. Well, I, I think
1: at least in, in my world, we see the worst of the worst
0: So here's the thing with that, right? Like you get the, you're just getting the worst of the worst, right? And that, that's, you know, there's so many times, like I can't tell you with my department alone where, where someone has made a complaint like, oh, this officer did this and this and this. And then they pull up the body cam and it's like, oh, wow, no, that was not what happened. And this is what happened. And, and there's a lot of really amazing and awesome and beautiful things that these police officers are doing on a daily basis that um, that you don't see, right? Because their policy isn't to post a video about it, and and uh, and even if he did, like you know, how much how many people are going to watch a cop doing his job? Like, <laughs> you know, nobody yes. cares about that. They only care about that when it's there that they need them to help them. With their, you know, in their moment, and um, um, but there are those ones that that you know are doing, you know, they make everyone else look bad for sure, and yeah. it's it's a battle that we, you know, have to fight. What would you,
1: you give me hope, Brett? And I, I know you do a lot of teaching in in that world. How do your colleagues feel uh, about the fact that? You're a, you're a gay ex-Navy SEAL. I mean, 20 years ago, you were forced out of the Navy for being who you are. Uh, how how do your your buddies and neighbors feel about that now?
0: So honestly, in my law enforcement career here, which isn't very long, you know, I've only been a, a cop for three years here, and, and now I'm just part-time. Um, but I, I've had nothing but, like, the most positive experiences. My police department... Is this very small uh, town, and um, you would if you were to paint a stereotypical Alabama town, that would be it. And those people have been absolutely wonderful. In fact, we're we're going to be moving out there. We love those people so much, and um, yeah, like it is. It has been nothing but a positive learning experience for me, and um, and the people that I have worked with. Uh, have been absolutely nothing but great. So I'm new, right? Still relatively new. And these people take time out of their, you know, what they're doing to help me to become a better police officer and to help me understand things that I don't understand. Like we'll go on calls sometimes where there'll be, you know, somebody with a mental illness and I, you know, I'm like, oh my gosh, this, you know, like this is new. How do I handle this person and and this and that? And and watching the way that these people deal with them in in an empathetic way is just, and it helps build the community. Like he, you see that, like the community starts to rally around their officers when the the officers are. Actively out there serving the the community, and uh, it's just such a beautiful thing to to be a part of and to and to to do. And um, and it, that has absolutely everything to do with other people, the other police officers that have mentored me and continue to mentor me.
1: Well, Brett, this has been incredibly enlightening. Thank you so much for spending time with us today.
0: Yeah, thanks, Ken.
1: Thanks again to Brad for joining me. Make sure to check out his book, Pride, The Story of the First Openly Gay Navy Seal. Thanks for listening to Burn the Boats. If you have any feedback, please email the team at kharbaugh at evergreenpodcasts.com. We're always looking to improve the show. For updates and more, follow us on Twitter at team underscore harbaugh. And if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to rate and review. Burn the Boats is a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Our producer is Declan Roars, and Sean Roloffman is our audio engineer. Special thanks to Evergreen executive producers Joan Andrews, Michael DeAloia, and David Moss. I'm Ken Harbaugh, and this is Burn the Boats, a podcast about big decisions.